I'm kind of glad that you guys didn't watch the um, film with me last time. I, I think it would be good if we did do an episode on the... I, I don't know how to pronounce his name either. L-A-D-J space L-Y. Lajli? 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 Oh, um, I don't know. He's, his parents are from Mali, so mm. it might be a Mali name rather than mm. a French name. It was really, really good and exactly what I want a, an adaptation of Les Mis 2019 to look like. Ooh. Yes! <laughs> good! Um, but also, it's like, wow, you really, yeah, you are a black man who is making a film about black Muslim people in France right now. And mm. that is police violence. And it was very intense. And mm. um, uh, I wrote this essay about it in two days. And it made me feel so bad <laughs> as, a, yeah. as just, um, yeah. So I think that maybe it's a film that we watch when we're not in quarantine. Or maybe when <laughs> we can all watch it together in the yeah. same room or something. Mm. Because it was like really intense. It doesn't end happily, but it doesn't end. It ends ambiguously. And it kind of, you can take from it the idea of hope, but you can also take the idea of futility. So it's like, again, like, what do you ask somebody to watch? Yeah. Um, I'd never heard of it. Um, it only it only came out this year, so Ooh, at the end of last year. The cutting so. edge of Damn. I can't believe someone made the film that um, Nemo, Nemo was always going to, well, not exactly the film Nemo was always going to write, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean... It's definitely a film I wanted to see being made, not mm. one that I wanted to make myself. Yeah. Because mm. yeah, yeah. in the same line of like, <laughs> I am not qualified to talk about yeah, black yeah. Muslim people yeah. <laughs> being yeah. brutalized by police officers. Um, but it's definitely, yeah, I'm glad it was made. And it has a really interesting take where there are three police officers and they like you start the film being like oh i see that one's the racist bad white guy mm. that one's the like new good white guy and this is the black officer who's like morally ambiguous but mm -hmm. he's going to be good and like he's going to talk for black people mm. and then like as it goes along you're like oh no the bad guy is bad but the good guy also thinks that he's good but uh -huh. and he isn't bad but he's not a bad like, he's as good as a police officer can yeah. be, which is not good. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. it was like a really, it was so interesting to see it and be like, but this is what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but like, this is what we mean. Like, yeah, this is like. <laughs> I guess you made that nuanced and, and realistic <laughs> and, and, and accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, welcome to Red and Barricades. <laughs> Do we think that we're warmed up? I don't know. I feel warmed up because yeah. I was talking the entire time. But... Well, this is Red and Barricades, the latest <laughs> podcast. Welcome. My name is Nemo Martin. I'm your moderator. I use they, them pronouns. And I finally finished The Untamed last night. Oh, oh my, my gosh. God. <laughs> it's been uh, an odyssey. Um, and I had seen gift sets of what I thought the like ending scene was but like apparently the whole of the untamed fandom has been trolling me because the actual ending scene happened and I was very emotional and <laughs> in a good way it ends it ends better than I thought it did I thought it ended with the two main characters like no homo parting ways yeah. but <laughs> oh, no. it is not <laughs> we're very happy for you <laughs> I, I was about to ask you what the ending was and I was like this is a podcast and people who might listen to this like this, we can't just be like so what's the ending of this tv show that everyone's <laughs> everyone's into at the minute because I guess like people might also want to watch it without getting spoilers yeah so that's me <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm Grace I use they them pronouns um I'm also on this podcast and then um <laughs> I oh the show that I've been watching obsessively in um, my lockdown state has been Buffy. Ooh. Oh really? Um, so I'm watching Buffy for the first time in the year of our Lord 2020 as a as a young queer, which which mm. feels just feels like madness. Um, and it's <laughs> it's it is it is what it is, you know. 
I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's, <laughs> it's it is. is what it is. It certainly is a show from the 90s about teenagers in high school. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm having a good time. And there's vampires. Uh, I'm Stevie. She has pronouns. Currently, primary and secondary researcher. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been watching a lot of Boku no Hero because Amazing. I've finally gave in to so many strangers on Instagram messaging me to say that I look like that one anime boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exaggerating about how many strangers have told me that. And I, I mean, love you it. do. You have, like, green fluffy hair and it's, like, his exact shade, so... <laughs> so I'm having a good time. Well, speaking of that, today we're talking about translations. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Where we're up to in the book, the book, is we're about to get into uh, the Battle of Waterloo section. And it seemed like a good time to talk about translations because there are versions of the brick that have a lot of that cut out. If not altogether, then <laughs> largely. We were going to talk about our version, the Norman Denny translation that we've been using throughout this podcast the translation that i have is julie rose and i'm gonna talk a bit about that afterwards and after stevie's done a debrief um, <laughs> because i do kind of stand by julie rose um so we've kind of like i think recently now that we've been into the brick a bit more sort of commented on the translation and things that we've been like oh is that uh oh these choices um, so it, it seems like a good time to let him sort of defend himself uh, and sort of discuss the various translations of the brick because, oh, it would have been nice to have looked up how many versions there are, but I didn't do that. <laughs> um, I mean, also, there's going to be so fucking many. Like... Yeah. So sort of before we get in it, something that Danny kind of touches on in his introduction is like, when it comes to translations, because obviously this is a French text originally, what is your intent? Mm. Um, which, because I'm the person that I am, I was like, oh, translations and the different ways we can translate things. How can I make this about my medieval interests? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. This has given me big war flashbacks to um, the go- studying the Gawain poet. Oh, God guess damn. what's coming, Grace? <laughs> different ways of translating things my favorite texts are going in the green night <laughs> <laughs> so this is a text that's, it's like a 14th century it's originally a poem and a lot of the time when you're studying it you sort of get a side-by-side translation so it's a, a direct translation of the middle english but uh, quite a currently popular translation of the text is by simon armitage who is himself a poet so you get a much more poetic translation. Uh, so it might not be completely accurate to the word, but he's going more for the feel of a poem, uh, which is something actually that Denny brings up in his introduction, that he's like, uh, first and foremost, Victor Hugo is a poet, so my intent is to get the feeling of what I believe he was trying to impart and low-key that kind of language versus a like the older sort of pre-1970s translations which are for better or worse a direct french translation even if the french to english word order is different uh i've only looked at the denny version and even then i've only looked at it in the last couple weeks i imagine it's kind of wild (laughs) reading the other the older versions yeah okay so the sergoine Sadly, so I really wanted to do my favourite bit, which is all the bisexual kisses that happen in the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've Sergoine in the original Middle English. Uh, so Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. the thing with 
uh, Middle English is a lot of the poetry is about alliteration, not necessarily the first sounds, uh, like the first letter being the same, but the sound. So the poet, more poetic translation by Simon Armitage translates it to Once the siege and assault of Troy had ceased, with the city a smoke heap of cinders and ash, the turncoat whose tongue had tricked his own men was tried for his treason, the truest crime on earth. Mm. Versus a side-by-side direct translation, um, which actually a lot of the like Middle English does translate easier than, say, I was considering doing a Old English side-by-side, but that was more work for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> after the siege and the assault had ended at Troy, and the city had been broken down and burnt to charred beams and ashes, the man who wove the web of treason there was tried for his deceit, yet framed as the truest of men. Wow, it's like really audible. (laughs) (laughs) Which, yeah, I was hoping that this would be sort of a decent way of showing the kind of, like, complete difference between intent that it's like a, a direct translation isn't bad, but if what it originally is is a poem, then mm-hmm. what are you losing? Um, and the same sort of with, uh, this is sort of Denny's whole thing, is that he's like, well, actually, I, I, I don't know, reading his introduction, I forget how much respect I get for him every time I read it, just because he's like, <laughs> the fucking funniest. Um, the, uh, this is, that is the trouble. The defects which no one can fail to see, since they are as monumental as the book itself, Maybe summed up in the single word extravagance. <laughs> wow. Actually, this might be an interesting thing to the, to like directly compare because I was gonna say this at the end, like about Julie Rose, but her intent is like completely different, and the tone that she uses is like completely different for talking about Hugo as well, because she's like the relationship between translator and writer is very like a marriage. In this marriage, I've wanted to be completely faithful. I hope in translation are more readable, not less as a result. So like, the like, because she also talks about how like, she hates other translators for like censoring Hugo (laughs) and for like, um, for doing him dirty by cutting out his like long, like, as Denny says, extravagant things. But um, it is interesting to see how like, there was, ah, who was it? Um, so there's a Tumblr post by a user called Flock of Doves who compares different translations. And and one thing that really comes across in Norman Denny's like, tone there is the idea of um, Denny just doesn't give a shit about the work that he's translating. Whereas <laughs> from Julia Rose's um, introduction, it's so obvious that she just like, loves what she does to the point where she considers being married to Victor mm. Hugo obviously in a joking way like I don't think she considers herself like seriously like wedded to him mm. but she even in this introduction has such a like respect for him and wants to like mm, glorify his extravagance rather than talking about extravagance as doing something dirty mm. so I, I thought that was really interesting actually like that Norman Denny would so explicitly be like yeah no fuck you though <laughs> well <laughs> then yeah okay. like looking at the way that we talk about him you know we have like a lot of joy and a lot of passion about the subject material but still like you know given any particular opportunity we're gonna roast the shit out of Victor Hugo because he deserves <laughs> yeah, it yeah true so that is true you know i i don't think it makes us any less passionate and any less um qualified or any more qualified to talk about the <laughs> talk about the the subject yeah. like okay this okay i think now this is what this is going to be because i only have the copy of denny and you have the copy of uh fuck rose, rose. um i will take the part of defending denny Oh my god. <laughs> you take Rose, Grace mediate, and also Grace knows Denny as well. Um, because, like, he does say, so this is still his introduction, like, you know, extravagance. Hugo had little or no regard for the discipline of novel writing. He was wholly unrestrained oh and unsparing of his reader. Um, he had everything. He had to say everything, and more than everything, he was incapable of leaving anything out. Um, <laughs> so he, like. Is he fucking wrong? <laughs> okay. I have a direct thing from Julia Rose. Um, And also, I actually find it really funny because, like, 
um, even from the beginning of her preface, it's really obvious that she's like, um, she loves language and that like, she does border a little bit into purple prose, but like, she delights in it. Um, but yeah, she's like, um, when Hugo says Cosette was married in uh, Binge mm, Guipé lace, for example, that surely gives us something more than hearing she wore a lace frock. It tells us where the lace was made, that there was a whole industry of making lace of a very specific kind there. And it tells us what that lace was, Guipé. Such a beautiful word. If you don't know what it is, you can always look it up. Hugo's descriptive scope was encyclopedic, and encyclopedias, like dictionaries, still exist online and off. <laughs> Knowledge, like virtue, is its own reward. Oh my god. There's, there's a strange sort of irony in hearing um, Nemo defending this. Like, as, <laughs> as someone who, like, linguisti- linguistically, stylistically, has always been quite, like... <laughs> Sparing and and always been like Grace. Why the fuck do you write so like excessively? I I write so excessively as well. I think me and Nina have the wrong books. <laughs> but this means let's that put we've this got on hold. Hmm? Let's put this on hold. Swap books and then and then keep going. But then that is really interesting then because that is in itself an argument to the point that Julie Rose is a good translator because if it was like to the point where I get bored of it or struggle with it then I wouldn't read it like defend it so much yeah exactly Mm. but the fact that she is able to like give a defense on Hugo's use of lace (laughs) like that but I'm still like enjoying reading it it's pretty like (laughs) Good. <laughs> I really um the only equivalence that I can think of this is literally Nemo as Anton Ego saying, and if I don't love it, I won't swallow. <laughs> <laughs> Which is I'm sorry, it's literally what it is. Oh, here's a here's another one. The digressions don't distract from the narrative, they enhance it. Hugo, the orator and polemicist, clearly had a good time writing them, just as he had a wonderful time with his characters, um, which is why he achieved iconic status. Okay, well, in direct argument to that, (laughs) Denny says, but some of the digressions or interpolations are still indefensible, and the most flagrant (laughs) being the account of the Battle of Waterloo, which occupies a third book of part two. I can fight you back. I can fight you back. Only the last chapter, seven pages long, has any real bearing on Hugo's story. Oh my god. The rest is entirely concerned with the battle. Come on, Nemo, a response, please. Hugo describes everything he remembers, fixes forever, times, events, things, people, facts, standing on the seashore, facing the tidal wave of history, as though standing on shifting sands. That is the whole point of detail. And if I seem to be hammering the point, it's because I have taken great care to give to you, the reader, all of the detail that Hugo wanted you to read. Um, I am, to my knowledge, one of the few translators to have rendered all of Hugo's magnificent novel without censorship. Dot, dot, dot. By censoring it, um, this is not merely losing bite and punch. It's more seriously misreading the entire book. For if Les can be reduced to a meaning, it is surely the connection... Hugo is forever making between the sewer and society, the gutter and the stars. I feel like she lost her point at the end there, but (laughs) I will defend her by saying that I I skip the Waterloo bits when I reread it. Um, But I think that it's valuable to be in there because it sets up. It's it's like the map at the beginning of like a really long fantasy Uh, novel novel. yeah right where you're like wow it's got a map so like it adds to the not suspension of disbelief what's the what's what am i trying to get context it provides provides the it, it makes the world feel real yeah and it makes you feel like you can see the mountain range and you can see the like the rivers and you can understand that when you're looking at this map, like, or when you're reading this book, like, that mountain is there. So they can't just, like, cross over the bridge and, like, be there. They have to blah, blah, blah. Again, I really don't like reading long fantasy novels. So <laughs> this is me, like, <laughs> talking out of my ass. But, um, you know, um, if I could just play devil's advocate, says Nima. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think at least 
when you're translating something. It's different as a writer. I feel like it's less excusable for Hugo the writer to have written these digressions. But as a translator, um, Demi and a couple of other people have come under fire for like just like taking out whole segments that they didn't want to put in because they didn't want to put it in. Mm. Um, like the most extreme um, version of this is that there is a translation from the Civil War where they took out all of the bits about um, uh, abolishing the slave trade. Oh, wow. um, so, so it's like, you know, there are extremes of this um, to the point where like you may think it's like a personal opinion but it, it's a very heavily political act of what you take out or what you deem to be important not that I'm saying taking out the long essay about Waterloo is the equivalent of like censorship around like uh, abolishment but as a translator I guess it really does it really does make clear what you find important and that it is such a heavily personal mm. trade. Yeah. It's not something that can be just done by anyone. Mm. It adds um, it adds a second author, really, to the book. It adds a second filter. Um, mm. The Hugo is telling a story. Hugo is refining down facts, um, refining down um, what he thinks of the world. Yeah, because, um, yeah, Hugo is filtering down the historical... Co- um, context and then we're getting the second filter from the translator and that will there will always be alterations made there will always be cuts whether it's just words whether it's just prepositions that change sort of nuance or whether it is um like propagandist censorship of Mm. like sections of it there will always be that and um i sort of feel like a narrator can a narrator, a translator can try and have as light a hand as possible, but I think it is always worth being conscious of the fact that translation is inherently filtering filtering a, a, a writer's work. Mm. Mm. It is really interesting to see, like I, I've been looking uh, on Tumblr this morning about like which different like Tumblr users have, how different Tumblr users have decided um, which book to read. And I actually only bought Rose because I was looking at how each translator translated the thing about Javert and what his race was. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have talked about it before. I've definitely talked about it, about how um, the first translator... Uh, there's a, a long translation history. Um, Victor Hugo refers to... Uh, Javert as being from a race of bohemians and for the first translator or for one of the translators he translated that as the Gisla meaning Romani um, but that that was just because he treated he, he thought uh, Romani people as being criminals and so read criminality and read it as Romani race and there's there was a really really good post before but it's been deleted um, about how the translation history of this is like filtered through different translators. Yes, following what you said, Grace, about like how you can like think that you're having a a light hand on things. I personally come from a school of thought where there is no death of the author. Like you have to accept that you as a person put things into work, even if you don't mean it to. Um, And it comes to things like Romani being called Gisla when he when that's not canonically possible. And then and because of that, like because of that one translator, even today there are people on Tumblr having like really tiresome fights about um about their right to use the Gisla. Mm. And like, you know, not to get into fandom <laughs> drama because fandom drama has always been bad it's like you know the equivalent of like not reading comments on think pieces about race and stuff like Mm. that but um there are some truly like weak hot takes (laughs) on tumblr and a lot of them come from people not really understanding how translation can play such a big role in how you think about the novel Mm. um and so Part of my reason for being like, you know, we shouldn't have death of the author is because 
it's it's relatively easier to find Hugo's opinions on things um, than on the translator's opinions on things. Um, we can, I guess, criticize Hugo to an extent more than we can the translator. Or it's easy to it's easy to forget that we're reading a filtered thing. Yeah. Um, well, I guess yeah. these are why they usually you'll have a translator's introduction where they do, or at least they should lay out their intent exactly mm-hmm. for that reason. Um, I guess kind of swerving this back into Denny, uh, <laughs> this version of the book does actually have the Waterloo bit in, even though he was like, uh, um, because uh, it's slightly abridged, um, partly because it's a magnificent piece of writing, but also because the episode described in the final chapter is crucial to the story. Um, so like, <laughs> he does keep that one. Um, he does go on to say, like, there are two longer digressions that have been treated with less respect. Um, one of them is basically about, like, enclosed religious orders, and because one of Hugo's... Uh, was it his niece? Uh, someone in Hugo's life... Oh, no, his cousin Marie had recently become a heart of one. He kind of was like, well, let me go on about this a bit. And then another digression uh, on Argot that uh, Denny says is interesting, but in it, it doesn't does nothing to advance the story. Um, so he actually details in like quite a bit of detail um (laughs) the choices he's made and why he's made them um and those even those bits they get put in like an appendices at the back sort of where so this denny version it was 1973 um and sort of translation up until that time was very much you just translate word for word and that for better or worse for whether it makes complete sense that's how you do that um Mm. and that this one was one of the sort of earlier ones to like uh i think you were saying was rose's version was that 2009 yeah um so like uh 2007 sorry yeah so this 2008 sorry like 2008 2008 um so like at one point denny's version um like he's saying he wants to make it make more sense and have a more Hugo poetic language um, he wants to get across the feeling of colour poetry, humour, irony um, all these are elements which the translator may or uh, may on no account ignore, he must catch them as best he can um, that he is actually very much wanting to capture what Hugo wanted to do um, like I'd seen the uh, posts as well that were like fuck Denny's version, he doesn't care about this work and he does roast Hugo <laughs> and I respect someone who can roast Hugo and then also fucking translate <laughs> this motherfucker of a brick um, mm. but like reading the introduction, I do feel like he has a lot of love for it and wanted to, especially at the time where maybe works were not so much capturing the style of Hugo or even like the actual seed of intent they were just sort of doing the word for word, a sort of like colder read. Um, mm. uh, yeah, so like the final thing on that he says in this introduction is, uh, Hugo was above all things and at all times a poet. If the fact is not apparent to the English reader, then this rendering of his work must be said to have failed. Mm. So this, I guess we're reading a like 70s version of this is the best that we can do. Okay, yes, I did take some shit out versus a sort of much more modern version that also wants to capture the style, but you're saying it's like in some places purple prose, so maybe doing that even more beautifully than Denny does? Mm. I, yeah, um, I find it really interesting. Um, so there's a video by a person called Eli Southern, um, who uses he and they pronouns, and uh, he basically did uh, a video <laughs> basically showing his bookcase of every adaptation that he has. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like a lot of them. Um, But one, I thought that one way that he described it was really interesting and that I hadn't really like um, cared to take in until you said that Stevie, that so Wilbur, who was a first translator, translated it word for word, taking no liberties. 
which made it really hard to grasp. It makes it quite hard to grasp, especially for a first time reader, because he, Wilbur literally like went, this is what the word is. This mm. is the word that Hugo said. Whereas Wilbur, um, sorry, whereas Denny translated it um, as Eli says, soul to soul, to make it more accessible. Um, so even though it's like still faithful to Hugo, um, it's not a word for word translation as I kind of thought it was because I actually found it quite clunky when I was like hearing a lot of when Grace was talking about Denny's translation before, I thought it was quite clunky. Um, but it kind of surprises me that he actually put thought Tried. into it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was the, um, the best that you could do in the 70s? <laughs> Question one. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but, but it also made me think when you're talking um, about Denny being very focused on plot and about it being plot driven and being like, why doesn't, why did he include these things that aren't relevant to the plot? And it made me think like, reading the long digression about the sewers like it was really long and like quite sluggish and because i read it when it got to um the main character of les mis jean valjean <laughs> uh when it got to the plot of jean valjean carrying marius like there's only so much you can do in a book right of like making time pass or making it feel like time has passed in a very sluggish way mm that because I had read this like essay about like the history of the sewers and about how they were cleaned and how it took so much effort and blah, 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 and like all of this stuff that when it got to Varjano, I was like, oh my God, like we have been in the sewers forever. <laughs> and I don't know, like, I don't know if that was like the intent, but the same with Waterloo, it's about war and it's about it going on forever. And it's about it not having... I don't know whether this is me just like, you know, trying to put something on it, but like, it's about it being endless, about it being like meaningless. And these are things that happened and it has no relevance to these characters, but these characters still Feel appear the out of it. it. Yeah. And for seven pages at the end of this like long slog, suddenly they're relevant. And like, like, I guess the other one is the. Um, sisterhood place nunnery that's not the right word but you get what i mean convent is the word um and again it's victor hugo's opinion about how convents shouldn't exist and it's like a really long thing about like you know religion and all that kind of stuff and i i guess there is something that you can say about not just contextualizing but giving a weight to the characters or giving a history to the characters or giving a journey to the characters which you can't do from like a personal character analysis or like there's only so much weight you can give to a character, I guess. Or there's only so much of a history you can give to a character um, in a novel like this mm -hmm. without without digressing to the war. Like, so the war, the Battle of Waterloo is to explicitly set up the relationship between Tenardier and uh, Marius's father, Georges de mm -hmm. Yeah. And, like, it, it is a through plot line through the rest of this novel like to the last page that this relationship is important but the actual relationship is 30 seconds of these two men's lives and I guess by by making this relationship so meaningful you, you can't make this relationship meaningful and long because it's not meaningful and mm, long yeah. but you can do that by writing an essay about the nature of war and about Waterloo and about every single thing that's led up to the fact that for 30 seconds these two men two know each other. Yeah, we're in each other's lives and this is what what made that happen. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I think it is long and I don't I don't find it interesting. I don't <laughs> find the Waterloo one especially interesting. But yeah, it does have that to say for it, I guess. Um, and a, a smaller point, I guess, it, that went through my head, which I guess we can discuss, is whether different translators think it's relevant or not, because they are academics who probably know a lot about the Battle of Waterloo before they read this novel. Mm. Um, because I'm assuming for a lot of people who have translated Les Mis, this is not the first time that they've heard about the Battle of Waterloo. <laughs> Whereas I don't know what the general population's 
general knowledge about the Battle of Waterloo actually was. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it relevant? Because like us, we take a moment outside of the podcast, like if there's a thing that we don't know, to go and Google it. Um, because it is relevant to us. But I would say that for a lot of other people, like the the trend isn't to stop the podcast flow in order to go and Google <laughs> something. But we have ma- explicitly made the point that like we want to have the information and we want to know and we want to make it accessible. So my point is, is Victor Hugo making, making the Battle of Waterloo accessible <laughs> by stopping his plot <laughs> to write an essay about it? I mean, I guess, right? <laughs> like, It follows the larger trend of his to be like, you don't need to know about this, but hold on. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like a lot of people have made a joke about it being, you know, like a Wikipedia, like him being at 3am going down a Wikipedia spiral <laughs> kind of thing. But, like, isn't that what this podcast is? <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> Don't let this make us make the thesis of the podcast, Nemo. <laughs> God. <laughs> Are we actually Victor Hugo in, um, in Waterloo? God. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, are we actually three people in a trench coat? (laughs) Yes, I mean, categorically. (laughs) Well, not at the same time, not right now, because that would be breaking um, sensible social distancing, but but usually... People in a metaphorical (laughs) trench coat. Mm, I think that's definitely something that we actually write down and remember to think about once we've finished Waterloo. Because <laughs> okay. I wanted to, I, yeah. I wanted to sort of touch on translation and like and Denny his POV of it because this is his version that we're doing. Um, before getting into Waterloo, to sort of like I, I think I was misremembering because I, I, I read this before we started the podcast, and I don't know if you all remember, but I came to this podcast with no lay miss, uh, <laughs> just no lay miss. <laughs> <laughs> So this was kind of my first impression of it was fucking two years ago reading this guy be like, it's going to be fucking extravagant. I have left it in there. I've taken some stuff out, but like, I do love this. But also there's 27 footnotes you're going to need for this one thing. I didn't think we needed those 27 (laughs) footnotes. And it was like, okay. Um, But he has... So I I was remembering it that he cut out a lot more of Waterloo. um, But it's still there because... He recognises that it's some beautiful work. Um, like, I can't argue that he's not cut things out and hasn't taken liberties because he says it. And I also appreciate that he does. <laughs> that he does say it. Um, but, yeah, I kind of wanted to get his vibe. We read Waterloo. We feed back. Would we cut certain aspects of Waterloo out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It feels to me like um, Denny walked so that Rose could run, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like you couldn't get to 2008 and write the Julie Rose translation without her feeling this level of emotion towards the Denny's and the yeah. Wilbur's. <laughs> yeah. um, because they already exist, right? Like, mm. um, Denny could only do his translation because Wilbur had done his translation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then equally, Lajli, who made the film in 2019, can only make it because, I guess... Rose has done this and then and I would argue that the 2012 adaptation did what it did and like the musical has done what it done um one point I made in uh, this essay I just wrote over this weekend was that that Leslie probably wouldn't have been able to make this film um and he wouldn't have got the Oscar nomination and he wouldn't have got the um attention that he got the academy oh fuck Academy <laughs> accolade okay. that he um, did get because he called it Les Mis and because he mentioned the Les Mis characters. Um, it's a film about police brutality and it's a film about black Muslim boys mm. who attempt to kill some cops. And I don't think that it would have got where it was without calling itself Les Mis and without mm. mentioning that the main character is like Gavroche. Um, because, yeah, it he takes Hugo's reputation and then he adds it to himself. That is something that, like, I don't think could have happened if Wilbur hadn't translated it into English 
and that Danny hadn't translated or hadn't gone after Wilbur and like Farnstock and McAfee and, and Rose and Hapgood and all these other translators that there are, like um, made it such a thing or kept it going um, and kept translating it because I don't like, it can't end now either, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like in 20, 30 years time when someone who was born using TikToks <laughs> has decided that they are going to be the person to translate Hugo's text. And like, what are they going to bring forth from it that is evocative for the people that they're writing it for? Who yeah. are they translating it for? And like, mm. what's their audience? And who, yeah, who are they speaking for? And who are they speaking to? Because they're not speaking to Hugo's audience. They're not speaking to 1978 audience. They're talking to 2400 audience. <laughs> yeah. I suppose like, like translations only exist in their context because of their context is sort mm. of more or less what is what comes yeah. out of it like the equivalent of waterloo for our translations is the translation that came before them mm. the one mm. that they that they first read of the novel when they sort of fell in love with it mm. yeah like it would be really interesting to see like Obviously, it would be impossible to do because I'm assuming quite a few of these translators are dead. But um, why, why they decided to translate it, and what the first time, what was the first time that they um, read Lemes or ingested Lemes? I, I guess it's slightly uh, easier for the older ones. It's probably they read the French, and that was what it was. Yeah. Um, but for people like Rose, and there's a person called Donna. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting name. Donoghue, Donoghue, D-O-N-O-U-G-H-E-R. Yeah, for a second I was like, Donoghue? Yeah, I was thinking Donoghue too, but... It might be Donoghue. Yeah, the E-R throws me off. <laughs> okay, Donoghue, Donoghue, that person. Um, like, who did a translation in 2013, which is apparently even more modernised than Julie Rose. It would be really interesting to find out where their passion came from and what they were excited to translate because mm. surely they're not going to be as excited to translate every single part of it as yeah. the rest mm. and like whether they brought the same energy into translating the battle of waterloo as to um as to translating uh the andras and Conte final scene um like the video of eli that eli southern did um he specifically read out chapters from every single translator and compared the uh, Gontair and Andra scene because that's what interests mm. him and like what like would probably interest his audience. Um, there's a Google Drive that I'll link to in the show notes by someone who has got every single translation and put in the characters of the ABC and explicitly compared each translation of Gontair and Confer and all these characters because that's what interests them and like that's so much energy um, <laughs> yeah yeah it, yeah it's really interesting to um it was really interesting and kind of I say cute in a way that's not trying to be like patronizing, um, patronizing. <laughs> like it's a really cute thing to do and it's a really cute way to understand the world of like this is what interests me and I'm going to put so much effort into un like <laughs> reading a text that speaks to me, which is what I did with the Javert things. Like I specifically went and like looked up the translation of Javert in every text and went, oh, this one's not racist. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go for this one. Mm, that's kind of what I, because I watched the their video on the uh, translations with the Grantaire Angelas death scene um each version but what i appreciated a lot about that video is at the beginning that uh he was like i'm gonna give you a taste of all the versions based on this you can sort of choose what is it that you personally want from a translation because like obviously there are going to be ways that are the wrong way to translate something like you can do it wrong which is i guess not at all translating the thing that you're doing or um <laughs> but there is the different, like there's so many translations that you can also choose, like what do I want out of it? What part of Victor Hugo and his message and his style? Um, how meticulously to the tiny detail do mm -hmm. I want Victor Hugo? Um, and that's going to be 
different for different people that's kind of like so I did the different readings of that <laughs> the intro to Gawain at the beginning when the actual more poetic version came out there was big discourse in the medievalist uh, <laughs> fandom fandom by which I mean the official Anglo-Saxon and like middle English symposium <laughs> which was very wild to be at um, but it's the difference between ah I am studying this so I need the word for word translation how am I meant to talk about his alliteration when this translator has put that in there and that's not necessarily what is meant to be there or being like I want to read something beautiful I want this to sound like a poem do yeah. what you want to do um so like us being like oh I love all these these instances of um Jean Valjean being uh, referred to as a mother oh wait but is this a translation can I give that mm. to Hugo or is it am I giving that to the translator yeah. um so it's sort of what we want to get out of it and for what purpose we are using what translation. And it's really hard as well because, like, you want to... Um, I mean, I personally don't read French and I only can a little bit because of context clues and words like revolution are <laughs> very easy to understand. Um, um, I rely heavily on translations and I guess it gets to a point where you either do have to cross cross reference between different translators or be very aware that you are standing the translator that you're reading. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I think it would be a really interesting question for us now. I don't know whether we keep it in the episode of whether we change what book we're reading, what translator we're using from now onwards, now that we've had this conversation. Mm. Each book, new uh, translation. That would be interesting. Especially as we know that Denny has made some little changes to Waterloo. Mm. Although the only one... Well, that, then it would be Nemo as the reader now. Hello, Nemo from the future here. Uh, we did have a discussion about this. And um, after reading Waterloo, which will be for the next couple of episodes, we changed what book we're reading because of the Kofi money that we got from three beautiful people who I cannot thank enough. So thank you for the Kofi donations. You helped us get a new translation. You'll be able to see who that is, I guess, if you follow us on Twitter, um, but in the episodes after Waterloo. Um, so yeah, thanks. Well, I know nothing but Denny, so <laughs> I'm unfortunately left. <laughs> With Denny, for better or for worse. <laughs> okay, there's one final Julie quote that I want to say that's gonna sell you on her, or at least the fact that she is like absolutely the biggest theatre kid in the entire <laughs> world. Um, at times, it really did feel like I was channeling Hugo, and it was every bit as euphoric and draining as a the theatrical experience ought to be. In a sense, all translation is a performance, a piece of theatre. You might try to be the role you're playing, to stay in character. This is one way of expressing how I was taken over by this masterpiece in the process of translating it. God, I can't believe Julie's method. <laughs> she really is a method actor. Okay, so. I feel like I have a good Denny sort of reply to that. Um, okay. The translator, and here I am referring specifically to myself and Les Mis. Mis bleh, and Les Mis. <laughs> and here I am referring specifically to myself and Les Mis can, I maintain, do something to remedy these defects without falsifying the book. If he will nerve himself to treat Hugo not as a museum piece or a sacred cow, but as the author of a very great novel which is still living, still relevant to life, and which deserves to be read, he can edit, that is to say abridge, tone down the rhetoric, even delete where the passage in question is merely an elaboration of what has already been said. Oh, wow. <laughs> Roast. But... Yeah, so I guess his thing, his thesis, if hers was that, then his is, I don't need to treat this book as something untouchable when you can make adjustments. With not too many, but you can. <laughs> I, I, you know, I just, I don't feel like the beginning of what he said um, justified the end of what he said then. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree with Grace. It did not, like, those two sentences didn't link together in the <laughs> brain. <laughs> I mean, that's a paragraph in the middle of him 
doing paragraphs about why he's made these changes, but I just liked the sacred cow of the author. <laughs> you can touch the sacred cow. Oh, the great oh, white cow yeah. to get back into 2012. Wow. I guess this sure has been. <laughs> I I guess this sure has been Fred and Mary Kate's famous <laughs> podcast. I say, knowing exactly what we're recording. <laughs> Um, produced by me, Nima Martin, and Julian Yap. It was a Captain's Collections podcast. Uh, join our Patreon or our Ko-fi. Um, we would appreciate it very much. Uh, like and review and us. <laughs> like and review us on iTunes. Um, if you do, send us a tweet. We got a very cute tweet, and we love them, and thank you very much. Um, as Grace says, they came off of private to send us a message, so we're not going to name them, but it meant a lot to us. Yeah. So if you do want to um, send us a message like that or like tweet us, you can tweet us at Lamer's Podcast or send us an ask or uh, at us at Bread and Barricades on Tumblr. Or you can send us an email at podcast at gmail.com, L-E-S-M-I-S podcast. Know that it will make us cry. Every time. Know that <laughs> it will make us cry. And mm-hmm. our like entire group chat just goes like cry yes. emoji, cry emoji. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, that's so cute. Yeah. Um, if you have heavy opinions on translators that we didn't talk about, feel free to send us a message or um, on any of the above. We would love to probably have a part two about this when we've got our new translations and um, to do maybe a bit more explicit like comparisons between the texts. Um, we can pick our favorite passages and read them at each other. Um, <laughs> our audio director is Jade, you can find on her bandcamp at Jade Wasabi or on her website jadewasabi.com. And that, I think, is it. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Do you want the real, Beautiful. do you want the really gay bit as the send-off from Gawain? Yeah. Always. Yeah. <laughs> He has for his fair house his armless winnest in, and kisses him as calmly as he could always. Tast y'all there, my chance, chance, I shot no more. I vouch it's a finely, but fella it were. Clasping his handsome neck in his arms, and kissing him as gracefully as he could contrive. There, take my winnings, I engage into nothing else, I give it freely, as I would even wear it more. It's very gay. Very, very this gay. is so very gay. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, now that we've we've had Grace's erotic voice and now we've had yeah. Stevie's Stevie erotic voice, voice. <laughs> when are we going to do the episode that's just reading out porn? Oh, <laughs> now one of us can play Jean Valjean and the other Javert. <laughs> and I'll do stage directions. Excellent. Unacceptable. <laughs> I'm going to end this recording now. Someone should.